pray today that you'd speak to us through your word. God, that uh, really the reality of those words that we just sung would be the the heartbeat, the very uh, essence of who we are and how we live. God, that in the midst of chaos and turmoil, that you are our hope, that we have hope through Jesus Christ, that our, our, our lives have been bought, have been purchased, have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus on the cross, and that he stands victorious, he reigns victorious, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he is seated on his throne, and Father, we thank you uh, for the promised hope we have in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. We're still continuing on with our, our James series. Uh, and I want to encourage you really, as we jump into this, if you'll think about James in James chapter 4 and, and, and what's going on, uh, we, we've talked about how in the book of James, James is trying to begin to, number one, make Christianity very practical. He's, he's reaching out. Matter of fact, uh, as, we, as we look at this, if you remember in the book of Acts, the, the church was persecuted as a result of Paul, or at the time Saul, and others stoning the believers. As a result, the people in Jerusalem, the, the church in Jerusalem was scattered. People were fleeing as a result of this persecution and scattering. The gospel begins to, to grow in different areas and things like that. And James is writing this letter to these, this group of believers who in, in reality um, are like most churches. They struggle uh, with uh, keeping God as the priority. God is the foundation. They, they struggle with focusing on things. And James jumps in, uh, as we've talked about, he says, hey, listen, in order to be a person who's going to live the gospel, you need to be really focusing on three things. Number one, be quick to listen. In a world that is slow to listen right now, he wants us to know that you need to be quick to listen. You know, we jokingly say this, that's why we got two ears and one mouth, so you can listen twice as much as you speak, all right? But the truth of the matter is, most of us, most everybody, I haven't met a single person who, who, who oftentimes does this, like to speak more than we like to listen. So James says, hey, listen, be quick to listen. And what that means is, be doers of the weird word, not just hearers. The problem with most believers is this. We listen to the word or we hear the word, but then we don't live it out. Matter of fact, maybe in the past you've heard things like, oh, well, yeah, that was said, but that's not really what he meant. No, that's, that's exactly what he meant. You're just not wanting to live the word out. Be doers of the word, not just mere hearers. Then he says, hey, listen, I want you to be slow to speak. We have a big response in this. We have to be slow to speak. We speak less. We learn to listen to others. We learn to listen to what they go through. And then he says, be slow to anger, all right? Matter of fact, we looked at it, we saw that anger oftentimes comes from the desires that we have inside of us that somebody else hasn't met. So maybe it's anger in your marriage as a result of you had an expectation from your wife or your husband, and as a result, you had this expectation, but the expectation wasn't met. So deep down inside, you got this burning anger, this frustration, or Maybe it's through work or somebody you've run into out in, in, in society, maybe in the midst of what's going on, and you had an expectation. They're going to treat me a certain way. They're going to provide my food in a certain way. It's going to be warm, not cold. My drink's going to be a certain way. Whatever that is, we oftentimes see that anger rises up because deep down inside, we feel like we've been offended. Somebody has set out to offend us or they haven't met the expectations we had. And then what we wanted to do, or, or really what I want to just kind of point out is this. Those are the three main things I think James is focusing on. And then he wraps up. He wraps up here in the end of chapter four and most of chapter five with three things. 
all right? Three things that I believe that we have to understand that are really a, a basis of a Christian worldview, all right? A Christ-like worldview. There are three things that James says, if you're gonna have a Christ-like worldview or a biblical worldview, these things are going to be evident or need to be evident in our lives. See, a matter of fact, if I was to say this, and I, I know where we would say 16 weeks ago was the first week that we were actually closed. As a matter of fact, before that, when the coronavirus stuff and COVID all came out, I think most everybody across the United States thought, ah, it's not that big a deal. And I don't care where you stand at right now. This is not a political decision or anything like that. But nobody could have imagined that our world would be in the current situation and circumstances or our country would be in the current situations and circumstances and the chaos and the turmoil, the fear and the worry, and honestly, the selfishness and lack of love that we currently are in right now. There's not a single person I've ever ran into going, man, would you imagine that four months ago, this is where we would be today? No, you wouldn't. And so I believe that that's just a very basic precursor to what we're gonna talk about here in James chapter four, starting in verse 13. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me and listen to what he says. Now, this is huge. Now, what? Uh-oh, we better be quick to listen, right? Now, listen. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or to that city, we're going to spend a year there, we're going to carry on business, and we're going to make money. That's what he says. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that as it is. You boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Here's what I want you to understand. In James chapter four, he's dealing with this worldliness idea that often penetrates the lives of believers and the process of separating ourselves or believers out from the world and to God is something he begins to address. So James now exhorts or is encouraging the church with the implications of a Christian worldview. And he has this unifying theme or this unifying theme of the Christian perspective on the period of time in which the church was living at that point. I find it rather ironic, but yet at the same time, a way that God uses his word consistently that we started James and then all hell broke loose in our society, all right? I mean, we're, we're jumping into James and we're talking about being quick to listen in the midst of a time where everybody doesn't want to listen to anybody. We're talking about being slow to speak in a time where everybody's quick to make a statement or opinion, whether it's a conspiracy theory or not. Everybody's got an opinion on it. We're in a time where anger is at a boiling point in every circumstance and situation. I had a pastor buddy on Friday um, down in Jacksonville, Florida, who was literally, his whole family was wearing masks. His daughter has a problem, all right? She has a medical condition that she can't wear a mask because it causes seizures. They were kicked out of a store because they would not put the, the, the mask on the daughter, even though they told them, look, we, we, this is a pre, because it doesn't matter, you're out, right? This is the world we're living in. There is no grace there's no love, there's no compassion, there's, there's things that are going on. And so I want us to understand, I believe that James wants us to look, listen, toward the future 
through God's plan. He wants us to clearly see, listen, he wants us to clearly see or, or, or see clearly into planning out our lives in a way that lines up with what God wants us to do. The reason why I bring up the 16 weeks ago is because none of us would have planned the current circumstances and situations. I know people who lost jobs who would have never planned on losing this job. I know people who have been furloughed. I know people who have found new jobs. I mean, there are all kinds of things that play out here that as a result, I know people who have lost jobs and most likely will not go back to those jobs. They've said that point blank. I'm not not gonna go back. I'm not gonna deal with it. But I want us to look at this because I believe that we have to look to the future through God's plan or through God's word. He wants us to see clearly that we can plan our lives, but planning our lives needs to be lined up with or underneath the wisdom and the ability that God gives us. So here's the big statement. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. We need God to be intimately involved in our planning. And listen, and not our arrogance that blindly guides us. Did you hear what I said? Most of the times when it comes to planning our lives, let's be real, let's be honest, let's get down to the heart of the matter. Most of us oftentimes will leave God on the back burner while we plan things out and then we say things like this. Hey God, I'm gonna invite you into the plans that I have for my life rather than saying, this is what God's cooking up in my life. This is what God desires for me to do. And as a result, I am going to give my life to this calling or to this direction and what he wants me to do. See, I believe this wholeheartedly that unless God is intimately involved to the planning or in the planning of your life, you can Expect the plans of your life to short circuit due to the arrogance and sin oftentimes that runs rampant. A matter of fact, I would even say this, even when God is intimately involved in the planning of our lives, there are times where our plans may come to the forefront and short circuit the reality that God wants to do something else. Matter of fact, my wife and I have been experiences of this on multiple occasions. Being a youth pastor for seven years at a church and up out of nowhere, well, with certain, I would say, pre-existing um, identification signs, we were asked to resign, right? That wasn't our plan. We thought, hey, God, you're going to call us. You've been calling us to plant a church. We never thought that God would call us to a church that was almost dead. Matter of fact, when, when I've told you this story over and if you're new to our church, I want you to know that seven years ago in March, we moved here thinking we were going to be planting a church, and in all reality, we were moving here as a result of taking over a church that I believe wholeheartedly God was calling us to do. See, it wasn't my plan, but God's plan that has to play out. So here's the question I want to ask today. How do we plan with wisdom? How do we deal with all these things? 16 weeks ago, none of us would have planned this way. How do we plan with wisdom? I believe wholeheartedly that God has wonderful plans for you, for me, for our church, for people around the world, that God is at work, even in the midst, listen to me, even in the midst of everything you see going on, do you have to realize, or you need to realize, that God is still at work. Most of the times we don't see it because we cover it up with the negativity. We cover it up or it's, it's covered over by all the negative things that we see on media and social media and in people's lives. But the reality is that God is at work. I believe that God is at work 
trying to restore and rebuild and build unity and build diversity and understand that we all can come together for God's big plan because that's what God's plan was in the first place. So how do we plan with wisdom or how do we plan, period? Number one, we must plan with godly dependence, not independence. Listen to what he says. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city and we'll spend a year there carrying on business and making money. See, James corrects this delusion that many people have that, that I can live a joyful, spiritually satisfying life apart from God's continuous input in my life. In other words, we want God's input when things go bad, but when things are going good, we're kind of like, nah, you know, God, I got this. We're good. Just kind of hold off. Let me take control. I got the reins. You know, the old, uh, the, the God is my pilot. I'm the co-pilot. Most of us are really operating in God. I'm the pilot, and you can be my co-pilot, and when I need help, you can give me directions, but otherwise, just sit back and be quiet, Right? If we wanna be successful in life, then we have to understand that we have to be dependent on God. See, when we leave God out of our daily life, we open a door to worldliness and independence from God. See, the truth of the matter is that God is independent of anything and everything. Have you ever thought about that? God doesn't need anything to sustain himself. God doesn't need you or I, but he chose to have a relationship with you and me. He doesn't need us to accomplish his mission, but he chose to use us to accomplish his mission. If you get the reality or see what's going on, God is independent while we are what? Dependent. The truth of the matter is the church, the body, the believers, people need God in their lives. As a matter of fact, there's a great book I'm gonna recommend to you. You can read it if you want to. It's, it's, it's well, I say it's a great book. It's, I think it's a great book. Um, it might be a little over some heads if you're not into a little bit deeper thing, but it's, a, it's called the God-shaped, uh, or uh, sorry, written on the heart. It's the idea of this God-shaped hole inside of all of us, and it's called written on the heart. God is independent of anything and everything, but you and I are dependent on God. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. If you think about ignoring or this idea of when we ignore God and then coming to God in prayer, just as James talks, listen to what he says in chapter one, verse five. All right, James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all, listen, to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. And then James chapter four, verse three. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you, you get on your pleasures. See, we must plan with godly dependence, not independence because the truth of the matter is that we get what we ask for when we ask for it based upon what God desires to give us. Us. We ask most of the time because we want to use it on our what? Selves. We're selfish. We look at out for number one, me, myself, and I. And what he says is we have to understand that in order to be wise, in order to have a planned future, then we have to plan with dependence upon God. Listen again what he says. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go. Do you hear what he's saying? It's kind of like this, I, I'm going. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what you do. I am going and that's the way it's going to be. See, I believe wholeheartedly, listen to me and I hope you hear this out because God, I believe, is very clear in his word. God is not against planning. 
all right? For all of you type A personalities who are probably going, oh my gosh, she's telling me I shouldn't be planning. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? And for all you people who don't plan anything, all right? For all you people who like just fly by the seat of your pants, don't care about anything, you know? Listen, there is something to be said here, but I want you to understand this. God is not against planning, but he is against planning without allowing room for him. When you don't allow room for God in your life, when you don't allow any room for him to speak wisdom and, and truth into your life, then listen to me, you're not going to make the wise decisions he has. Listen again what he says. We will, it's like I am going to do this. It's a sign of what? Arrogance. It's a sign of pride in my life. And so it's this idea that we have to understand that we begin to say, hey, listen, I have to ask myself, is this what God's desire is for me? I might. Listen, I got all kinds of things. My wife tells me I need like 15 lives for all the things I want to do, all right? Like, we talk about coaching baseball. I'm like, oh, I should have done this. Oh, I should have done that. Oh, I like this. Oh, I love to do this. She's like, what time? What, what? How are you gonna do all that with the time you have? In reality, what I need to be saying is, oh, man, that would be cool, but this is what God's called me to do. I might. So as you look at the future and you plan, we may do this if the Lord wills it or if the Lord desires. See, today we're in a time and a setting where planning or where we may be planning things without God's input or direction in our own lives. As a matter of fact, I believe that I see it fairly consistently in people's lives, especially over the last four months that we want to plan things without any input or direction from God. And as a result, we reap what we sow. I believe wholeheartedly this, and I think that some of the greatest life interruptions are as a result of God stepping in and interrupting or altering my plans or canceling them altogether so I do what he wants me to do. Did you just hear what I said? some of the greatest interruptions or life-altering decisions are oftentimes a result of God altering or canceling my plans so that I do what he wants me to do. <laughs> That's not a very comfortable statement, is it? <laughs> Nobody likes to alter plans. Listen, I am type A personality. Like, I got a list, I got plans like this, and there's times where it's like phone rings, but I'm in a certain situation or circumstance, and I'm like, not going to take it because what's it going to do? I know what it's going to do. It's going to alter my plans. I know I get a certain call from an individual. This is going to alter my plans. I can't answer the phone with this individual and not get off in five minutes. It's going to be 40. And while some of you go, how do you talk to somebody that long? Oh, trust me, come be a pastor. <laughs> sometime, all right? That's the way things tend to work. And what we have to begin to understand is this. God wants to alter your plans at times when your plans are selfish, not God-ordained or God-identified. It's not enough to include God. Listen, just on Sunday morning, God must be a part of the day-to-day -day activity in my life so that I can understand that when he alters or cancels my plans, it's no big deal. See, here's the funny thing about it. COVID, complete surprise to us, right? Knock you off your seat. What the heck? Where did this come from? And God's going, yep, I knew it all along. 
When God is included in my everyday plans, then I begin to understand, listen, that I plan with God or on dependence in God and not independently from him. God's not surprised by anything. Number, uh, matter of fact, Proverbs 16, 9, it says this. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Listen to this. It's the idea that I know the end, I know the goal, but guess what it's saying? God's gonna give you the steps. Step here, step there, step there. The goal is this, that I bring glory to God in everything that I do, and at the end, that he is most glorified by my death because my life was an example for him. Guess what he's saying? Fine, that's the way it's gonna be. That's what I want it to be. That's the way it's supposed to be, but I am going to direct each and every step you take. That's what James is talking about. Let God direct or dictate or determine the steps that you take. We said, how do we plan? We said we must plan with godly dependence. Number two, I believe we must plan with godly wisdom. Listen to what he says. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Anybody know what's gonna go on tomorrow? Like, I mean, you have plans tomorrow, right? Like, I mean, you're gonna get up, you're gonna go to work, you're gonna work so many hours, you're gonna come home, that's the plan. But do you know that's what's gonna happen? Sarah and I were just talking about this this morning. It was a year ago, July 7th, that we got rear-ended on our way to church here. Kids were out in Indiana we're with, with my mother-in-law, which is a funny thing. My daughters are out there again this year. We're on our way to church on 23rd, and we get hit by a dude doing 70 on 23rd from the rear. Totals our car, cancels church. I mean, we're like, Psh. Y'all remember that if you were here. You don't know the plans. And we talk about over and over and over again. What if he would have hit us head on? What if he would have T-boned us from the side? 70 miles an hour T-bone. I mean, we, what if the kids were with us in the car? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? You don't know, do you? You and I don't know the, that what's gonna go on tomorrow. We have a plan. We have a thought process, but you don't know. But God knows, God knows the number of our days. Matter of fact, I'm gonna put it this way. Anybody ever watch Christmas Vacation? Chevy Chase, right? Chevy Chase, he comes in, he's got the, the model of the pool on his desk. Why has he got the model of the pool on his desk? Because he's planning on the Christmas bonus he's supposed to get, right? And he's talking about, oh, this is the pool we're gonna put in with our Christmas bonus, and what's he get? The gift that keeps on giving year round, Right? the jelly of the month club. He had planned on a bonus, but he didn't get the bonus. And a lot of times we plan with things or we plan with ideas and thoughts. In reality, what we have to understand is that we must plan with godly wisdom. You and I don't know what tomorrow holds. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised anything. We are promised hope with Jesus. We are promised a life in Jesus you know, I think about it over and over and over again when it says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Think about it this way. As a kid, time went slow. I couldn't wait to graduate, right? Like elementary school, oh, I can't wait to be 16. 16 because I can't wait to graduate. You graduate high school, next thing you know, I'm off in the Navy. I think four years in the Navy, oh my gosh. If I'd have stayed in, I'd have been 27 and collecting a retirement check. Sometimes I look back going, man, maybe you should have stayed in. 20 wasn't that bad. 
After four years in the Navy, I go to, to college. I do four and a half years thinking, man, four and a half years, that's a long time. I just did four years in the Navy. I got four, four and a half years, played baseball, went like that, go from baseball and playing baseball and graduating there to go to seminary for three years. Then I was a youth pastor for seven, and now here we are for seven. I'm 45 years old, and I realized real quick, oh my gosh, life goes fast, and I'm not promised anything that I plan my life and I can only plan with godly wisdom. See, I believe that this is why horoscopes are so sought out. Why? Because people want to know the future, don't we? What's going to happen? There are websites where you can go and try and predict based upon your lifestyle, when you're going to die and things like that. You want to know why that's the case? Because people want to know. And listen to what he says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Listen, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The only thing you can know is, is my life wrapped up in Jesus? Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone? Do I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins? Do I believe he rose again, offering me life and life more abundantly? Why? Because life is uncertain, uncertain, life is short, but it will be even more difficult without planning with godly input and godly wisdom. We must plan with godly wisdom. Number three, we must plan with God's time in mind. Matter of fact, I had this great illustration. The only problem is I forgot it. I left it at home. I had a piece of string that was going to run from here to that back wall. And I want you to think about this based upon what we're going to read here in James chapter 4, starting in the middle of verse 14. He says, what is your life? You are but a what? A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Think about it this way. If, if we had a piece of string running from this wall to that wall, and that was the timeline of everything that we can track or trace from the beginning when God spoke everything into existence and created everything to where we are now, if you could imagine your life just in a blip, in a scale, you would basically be the paperclip hanging on a string from there to there. Now, what are the odds of you seeing that paperclip? You might see it a little bit. But the reality is what? Life is what? Short. It's brief. It goes fast. You're here for a little bit. It's a vapor or a mist. I kind of, you could think about that way. You get one of those spray bottles and spray that vapor or that mist up in there and then watch it fall. It disappears very quickly. And it depends oftentimes on the Adrian, but I want you to understand that time is uncertain and time is short. And the longer I'm around, the quicker time goes. Listen to Job chapter 14, verse five, what he says, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. In Psalm chapter 39, I'm gonna flip over there real quick. Psalm 39, verses four through eight. Listen to what he says, just to encourage you with this. He says, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days and let me know how fleeting my life is. Listen to what he says. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about in vain, but or bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from my transgressions. And then flip over to Psalm chapter 90. 
starting in verse four, and he says this, for a thousand years in your sight or like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. And he says in verse nine, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days, listen to this, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and they fly away. Listen, here's what we begin to understand, that you and I are limited in time on earth. You and I are limited in the amount of time that we're promised. You and I are limited on what's going to happen. And a matter of fact, when I say this whole idea of time being promised, the reality is that none of us know the day, the hour, the month, the minute, the week, or anything like that. That time is short, and so we must plan with God's time in mind, that I make the most of every opportunity, Colossians chapter four. Because every opportunity matters. As a matter of fact, if you look at Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, he says this, teach us and number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I want you to think about it this way. Time is like money. Once you spend it, you don't get it back. Think about that. How you spend your time matters. Now, can you earn more money? Yes, but once you spend the money you have, can you get it back? Not in reality. And time is just like that. Every moment you spend doing something is taken away from something else. How you spend your money or how you spend your time matters. I was encouraged, I was listening to a, a sermon by Tony Evans, phenomenal pastor down in Dallas area. I, I love to listen to that guy. He's probably one of the guys I listen to uh, the most um, right now, um, have been for probably the last year. But he, he used this analogy, and I think it's great. If our time is 70 or 80 years, now I want you to think about this, because my dad passed away when he was 68. Some of you maybe have lost friends. My best friend passed away when he was 21 of cancer. Our time is not promised. We're not promised tomorrow, but the span of life, roughly 70 to 80 years. If you live longer, I would just say maybe that's a blessing. I don't know. Maybe if you're that old, you may say it's a curse. My grandma was that way. She's in her mid-90s. She's like, I just want to go. This is, I'm done with this, all right? But I want you to think about this. If your span of time is 70 or 80 years, matter of fact, I did the math for myself. I have been alive 16,537 days. That's a lot of days. When I think about 365, I have been alive 16,537 days. If I live to 70, which I always jokingly tell Sarah, I'm going first because I don't know what I would do without my wife. Um, if I live to 70, I have 9,125 days left. Does that put anything into perspective? What's that? Right? <laughs> right? Right? Time is short. In other words, I've lived more than I got left. All right? If I lived to 80, now my numbers go up. I now would push 12,775 days. That's if I make it to either one of those. And Lord willing, I will, but Lord willing, I may not. It depends on what he says. So I have to learn that I plan with God's time in mind, that I make the most of every opportunity, that I number my days aright. Why? So that I can be the most effective at doing what he wants me to do, not doing what everybody else wants me to do, not doing what the world is telling me to do. 
but I'm obedient to him. And the last thing, how do we plan? We said we plan with godly dependence. We plan with godly wisdom. I believe we must plan with God's time in mind. And number four, that we must plan with God's will, not our arrogance. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast or you brag, and all boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Listen, here's the reality of what's going on. The reality is, is that people want to go through life not asking God for any wisdom, not asking God for any direction, not living life based upon God's time. And then all of a sudden we come out and we go, hey, this is what we're gonna do. We don't ask him for that wisdom or time. Now all of a sudden we reap the consequences of it. And then we go, what the heck? Where are you? And now here's where pride comes in because here is the big kicker. Once we begin to do that, we begin to go, God, you don't love me. No, wait a second. What just happened? Your arrogance and pride led you down a road to make a decision to do things on your own. And instead of following God, you chose your own way. But then you reap the consequences of your decisions, your actions, your desires. And as a result, who do you blame? Well, God, you, well, how could you, wait a second, you chose not to allow God to speak into your life on a daily basis by refusing to read his word, by refusing to spend time in prayer, by making other things priorities. And as a result, because of that, we don't plan with God's will, but rather we plan out of pride. Listen, here's the biggest thing that I could do to encourage you and encourage myself. That we have to understand that no one lives, listen to me, no one in reality lives independently from God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because the truth of the matter is that everyone is dependent on God. It's just whether you choose to re- respond to or react or believe that you need God or not. While we may function as if we do live independently, sooner or later we're gonna be confronted with the reality that we need God in our life. That God, I need your wisdom. The reality is that you cannot get away from God or the plans he has for you in your life. You could try and run, just ask Jonah what happens with that. You could try and go a different direction. You could try and talk God out of it, ask Moses. God, if it could be anybody else, send them. But the truth of the matter is you cannot get away from God or the plans he has for your life And if you try and do it, sometimes you're just gonna get what you get because you're reaping what you sow. Listen to Psalm 139, verse seven, when we talk about this. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Listen to me. And I'm trying to be wholehearted in this. The reason we as believers take this so seriously is this. That you can hide things from people within the church. You might even be able to hide things from your own spouse you might be able to hide things from your family members or coworkers or your boss or, or things like that. But listen very clearly. There is nowhere you can go that you're gonna be hidden or hide away from God because God sees it all. And so when he's talking about these three things and he talks about boasting about tomorrow, I believe wholeheartedly is this, that if God is all-seeing and all-knowing, 
and I know that there is no place to go where I can hide from him, then the remedy is not running from God, but running to God and with God. Now, I think about this just being Team World Vision Sunday when we talk about this whole idea that remedy is not running from God, but running to God and with God. You know, the World Vision kind of slogan has always been, you can do more together. This old African proverb that together we can accomplish more. And I want you to think about this, first of all, in your life when it comes to planning that together with God, you can always accomplish more than you'll ever do apart on your own. So we must plan with God's will, not my arrogance, when I begin to look at the planning process in my life. See, James lets us know that we must change our planning on our own to planning with God and under God, and he will use you and I to bring glory to him through your life. I just wanna encourage you today with this that I know that over the last four months that to a certain extent, all hell has broken loose. And there can be some doubts, there can be some discouragement, there can be some struggles. But I want you to know this, that God was never surprised. God was never thrown into, oh my gosh, what do I do now? God didn't question or doubt that God stands there waiting for you to ask him for wisdom, waiting for you to call out and follow him, waiting for you to run to him and with him in your life so that, listen, so that your future planning can be planned with his purpose and his intent because he has great things in store for each and every one of us, whatever that looks like, regardless of what happens in our culture, in our community, in our country and around the world as a result of COVID or violence or oppression or persecution or anything like that, that God has a great plan in store for you and I. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have the hope that comes in Jesus and Jesus alone, that we have a life and life more abundantly through the promised hope of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he made a way to access a relationship with the Father, that we can uh, access him through the Son, that God, you give us the Spirit, and that Spirit groans and longs for a relationship with you. And so God, I pray that as we begin to plan, as we look to our own futures, that we would number our days that we would live with hearts of wisdom, that we would follow you, that we would run to you, and we would run with you so that you can accomplish great things in and through each one of us. Lord, we pray today. I just pray for each and every person here. Some may be dealing with a lost job, maybe struggling relationships or things like that. God, would you comfort them with your spirit? Will you give them wisdom as they move forward? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.